Well, we are working through the Gospel of John, and we do that here at Grace Church. We work through books of the Bible mostly, and one of the main reasons we do that is because you miss a lot if you skip around, plain and simple. And today's passage is a good example because you read about miracles happening, you know, in, in, in Jesus, and you're like, oh, another miracle, no big deal, they're all about the same. And honestly, I'm saying that because I felt that as I approached this passage after a great like three weeks in, at the woman of the well, and just so blown away by that narrative. And then to come to this passage, at first I, I was a little bit like, oh, you know, God, what do you want to say through this? And as I begin to dig into this passage, there's so much here, and it's just incredible. Let me just remind you where we've been, what's going on in the Gospel of John. John is writing this book because the Gospel is under attack. Now, the Gospel of John was written probably about 50 years, maybe a little bit more, after Jesus ascended back into heaven. Now, by this point, Jesus, uh, the, the story of Jesus, the narrative of Jesus was very much uh, known by people. And what happens a lot of times when a, uh, a, a narrative is known, a, uh, a story is known, a lot of times it can begin to, as it goes into pagan areas, the people can take it on as partially true and then kind of throw in their paganism and distort the gospel completely. In fact, Buzz was telling me um, last time he was here about in Africa, there's so many of the villages that he goes through where there's a form of Christianity, there's a form of faith in Jesus, but it's so mixed into this paganism that it's unrecognizable, that you would even know that it was Christianity once you looked a little bit deeper, and so they adopt Jesus into their religion. And so that was happening in the time of John in his writing, and he's the last a live disciple, apostle. He, he, here he is, he's writing, and it's important that he is, as the, as the eyewitness of Christ, that he shares with them what not only he knows, but what he saw, what he encountered, what he interacted with with Jesus. And so his point is very clear. He wants to establish that Jesus, who he was, because a lot of these pagan, is, pagan beliefs were about either downplaying the deity of Jesus that he was God or downplaying the humanity of Jesus. And John makes it clear that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And so his, his purpose is to establish that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And then he tells us, and we talked about this verse in chapter 20, verse 31, he lays out the purpose for him writing. He says, these were written so that we can believe that you'll believe in Jesus. And he's the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you won't just have a warm and fuzzy feeling or you just won't be enlightened, but by believing, you'll have life in his name. And so John's purpose is clear. He wants to see belief happen as a result of hearing the truth about who Jesus was. And so as we look at the passage today, it's a perfect example of what Jesus is after when it comes to belief. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 43 through 54. So John 4, if you want to uh, flip over there, or you can follow along on the screen in a minute. We'll have the verses up. And so today we're going to look at a great example, an incredible example of belief. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us life, that gives us hope. And God, I know that many people in here affirm that truth, but there's also many who affirm it with their lips, but their lifestyle doesn't really show evidence of that. And God, may you reveal this, the truth of the words of Christ today, the power that's in the gospel, the power of the life of Christ, 
And God, through these words, that you'll draw us closer to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So verse 43, after the two days he departed from Galilee. And we looked at this extensively over the last few weeks. Jesus was in this area called Samaria. And this area was an area where, as the map points out, there were several options to avoid this area, as many Jews would do, because the Samaritans, as I've well established in this last few weeks, they were considered unclean. They were kind of like that paganism where they adopted part of the faith and part of the faith they rejected. They had a different belief system. And so a lot of times the Jewish people would just avoid this area completely. But the scripture told us, and we saw last week, that Jesus had to go through that area. And he had to go through because he had a divine appointment. And so he spent two days after this encounter with the woman of the well, and he just has great ministry among the people there. Many people, because of the woman's testimony, it says, came to Jesus. They believed in Jesus. And so now that Jesus is moving on past, remember, he's going from Jerusalem, and he's going up to Galilee, and he passes through Samaria. So as he's, he's gone through, and now he's come to Galilee, which we know that Galilee is the area where he grew up in Nazareth. And so he gets to Galilee, and John adds this comment in verse 44 about Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And that's found in the Gospel of Mark. And so the point is making is that Jesus had constantly criticized the lack of belief in the Galileans because of their familiarity with Jesus. We know how that works, right? If you grew up in this town and then you decide that you want to be a pastor, but people know your past, right? And they like people you run into, they'll judge you like, oh, I remember what you were like. I remember who you were. And you have to kind of outlive that and prove that you're not that person any longer. Well, while Jesus lived a perfect life, there was still that, you know, hey, that's Joseph's kid, right? That's the carpenter's son. That's Mary's son. That's the one who maybe was born out of wedlock, right? So, so this is Jesus in his own hometown, his own area, his own region, and the respect is not there because they just knew, you know, this guy can't be the Messiah. He can't be that person. And so verse 45, what seems like that, the, that Galileans were welcoming him, look at this. This is really superficial. Verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. And we talked about this at, back in chapter 2. Actually, Roy did this sermon where he talked about where Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Passover, and it says there in verse 45 that they had gone to, the Galileans, probably a huge group of them, went to Jerusalem for the Passover, very normal during this time period. And so they were there when they saw Jesus do supernatural miracles. They saw this happen. And, and so while they knew that Jesus was special, they knew that he had power, they weren't really interested in Jesus as a Messiah. It was more of a superficial belief system, which was really more of a rejection because they just, like Jesus, were interested in Jesus for the miracles, for the signs he did, the great things that he was doing. And he spoke to that clearly back in chapter 2 where he said at the Passover feast, he said, many, the, the, the narrative goes, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew that they really didn't accept him as Messiah, but all they wanted to do was just see the, good, the great things he was doing, the incredible things he was doing. And they liked the show. And I'm sure they thought he was this incredible miracle worker, 
but Messiah, not so much. And so Jesus is going to speak to this unbelief again, but go ahead and look at verse 46. We kind of split screen, so to speak, and we're going to shift to a different narrative where this other guy's in Capernaum, and he's going to come to meet Jesus. Look at verse 46. So um, he came, Jesus came to Cana in Galilee, where Jesus had changed the water into wine. And, or meanwhile, your translation may say, meanwhile, at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So at Capernaum, there's this man who's called an official, and his son is ill. And this is about 20 miles away from Cana, where Jesus is. Now, he's probably referred to as an official because he probably worked for Herod, who was the client king of Herod uh, the Great at that time there in Judea. And so the man asked Jesus to come with him to heal his son. Look at verse 47. When the man heard that Jesus had come to Judea, to Galilee, from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So he's desperate. He thinks that Jesus, based on the things he's heard, right there in his own region of Galilee, Jesus had done this great miracle of changing water into wine. He has heard the reports. He knows that this Jesus could possibly perform a miracle for his son. And so he goes and he says, Jesus, please, I'm desperate. And maybe it's like his last shot. You know, I, like, I need you to do this. And he's maybe someone of prominence. He's important. He's an official. And so he may be trying to use his status to persuade Jesus to come and to perform this miracle. But what Jesus says to the man next, it may seem very harsh. But it's really an indictment on the superficial belief of not only the man, but probably primarily the people of Galilee, who could only see Jesus as being a miracle worker and not as the Messiah. In fact, I can imagine verse 48 as he's saying this, that he's looking out, the man standing here in front of him, he's looking out over the crowds of people around, and he makes this statement. He says to him and to them, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe, will you? you got to see signs and wonders. The guy who's standing there, the official, he's probably like, my son's dying? You're saying you can perform signs and wonders? Yeah, Jesus, that's what I'm after here. I want, I want some signs and wonders. I want you to do this. I want you to heal my son. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. But Jesus doesn't go along with that. And in fact, it's going to seem very harsh, his response. Why? What is Jesus doing? Well, today's Family Worship Sunday, and Family Worship Sunday, we're actually having several in a row here during the Christmas holiday season, but during Family Worship Sunday, the first Sunday of every month, I like to highlight um, our G-Kids and also have um, a, a student who's in G-Kids, our, uh, which would be uh, birth through fifth grade, to come up and, on the stage and help me with a little bit of an illustration. So Piper has agreed to come up and help me today, and I know Piper doesn't look like she's in K-5 through fifth grade, but what grade are you in, Piper? Oh, my bad. I thought you were in fifth. I blew that. Come here. I'm sorry. You're going to go with this? Because Noah already hit me up and do this. I was like, no, I'm going to stay with somebody in G-Kids. So I apologize, all right? You surprised me by being in the sixth grade, even though you're like as tall as me. All right. So, all right. Have you ever did a treasure hunt? Yes. Okay. So on a treasure hunt, you get a map, right? And you begin to follow the clues. All right. So in this treasure hunt, 
we're going to look at three clues, and actually, you do have a gift if you can find it, okay? All right, so um, we're going to look at these clues, and we are going to let you help her if she needs help. She's on the spot. Are you nervous at all? You don't seem nervous? Just a little? Okay. Especially after calling you fifth grade. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. All right, and so, all right, here, here's your first clue, all right? Find the door, all right, so you can look around. Find the door, but don't go past the score. Find the door, but don't go past the score. Where would that be in this room? Yeah, so maybe where? Where can you see a door that has a scoreboard? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't see that one, really, can you, that door? But you can see that one. All right, I'm going to help you out here in the first. Your mom's yelling clues. All right. This one's a little tougher, all right? So once you go to that area, right, that's a clue. So look around in the morning for your mercies. Look around in the morning for your mercies. That's a harder one. Communion. Look around in the morning for your mercies. It's, a, it's something I talk about a lot. Yeah, I heard it. New Morning Mercies. There's a book called New Morning Mercies back there. So you go to the door, but don't go past the score. And so what do you see back there? Uh, books. Yeah, books. Okay, now here's the final clue. Celebrate when you find your birthday. What's your birthday? April 8th. April 8th. So what does that mean? Celebrate when you find your birthday. Anybody have New Morning Mercies? Raise your hand. All right. What is it? I heard it. Days. So what do you think that means? Yeah, very good. All right. So what do you want to do? Do you want to just stay here and admire the treasures, or, or do you, I mean the clues, or do you want to go back and find the treasure? Why don't you just want to admire my great clues I came up with? These are pretty good, right? Because it's trying to lead me to the prize. It's trying to lead her to the prize. It, yeah, it's really smart. All right. All right. Sixth grade. <laughs> Smarter than a fifth grader, right? You're a sixth grader. Thank you, Piper. You can go back and redeem your prize. Yeah, give her a hand. That's a great job. So what's the illustration? What's the point? The people were so mesmerized by the clues that Jesus was giving that they were unwilling to follow the clues to the price. Miracles, miracles, miracles. We want miracles. Jesus is saying the miracles are to show you something. All right, we can all just pause for a second watch Piper find the book. It's on the right side. Everybody's looking anyway, right? I give up. If you're watching online, you just got to be here, all right? There you go. All right, now to open the book, find the date, and, uh, and, and their, your birthday, and there you go. All right, leave the book, though. <laughs> and so the clues, of course, are critical, right? The clues are critical. We're not downplaying the miracles that Jesus was doing. They were critical in showing who Jesus was. But they weren't an end in themselves. They were to point to something bigger and greater. And so the clues point us to Jesus. So here's the big idea today. True belief occurs when the thing a person seeks for themselves gets eclipsed by Jesus himself. All right, just sit on that for a second. When the things that we get from Jesus become eclipsed, that Jesus takes over, and it's not about what we get from him, it's about the person of Jesus himself. But the people were stuck with miracles, we want you to do stuff, and they're missing out on the greatness of who Jesus was. And we do the same thing. I made a list of them, I think they're on the screen. Would you be fine to have heaven one day if Jesus wasn't there? Honestly. 
All right, I love the song we sang earlier where it talked about that heaven is when Jesus arrived because Jesus is heaven. And so if you're, you'd be pretty cool with having an eternity in heaven but no Jesus, then you have to begin to ask, do I like the stuff that Jesus gives more than Jesus himself? What about security? What do I mean by that? Many people who grew up in a Christian home, it's just safe. If you're, if you're younger, it's just safe right now to just believe what your parents believe. It, there's security in that, right? You don't make waves. You don't cause issues. And in fact, you probably believe at a certain level, but you haven't really embraced Jesus. You just embraced your parents' belief system, and you're content with just going through the motions for the most part right now. But who knows what will happen one day, right? And so the security of it, or the peace that Jesus brings, that you're content with, like Jesus just, he's there for me, right? He's there. And, and that's all we're satisfied with is what he does for me, but not in the person of Jesus. Or a big one that I see a lot, and I was guilty of this for many years, I love the safety that Jesus gave. What do I mean by that? I felt like that if I trusted Jesus, there was like this bubble that was going to be around my family, and it was going to protect us from everything that happened in life. And if I struggled with believing, then Jesus would remove that bubble, and then I would be something happened to my mom or my dad. And, and, and a lot of people believe that. They, they just put their hope in Jesus because of what he does for them. Here's one I see a lot. Emotional experiences. As a former youth pastor, you take kids to camp, you're doing worship music, and they get caught up in the moment, and they're lifting their hands, and they're into it. But what happens? They go back home, and two weeks later, that experience is over and done. Oh, we got to go back to camp, Jeremy. I love camp. Man, I feel Jesus there, right? You're wanting Jesus for just what Jesus can do for you, but you don't want Jesus for who he is. So Jesus desires belief characterized by love for him. Stay with me. Love for him, dedication to him, and commitment to him rather than just simply amazement and having it your way. The person of Jesus becomes more important than what Jesus can do for you. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to eclipse all that stuff. And you see Jesus, and you begin to love Jesus for who Jesus is. Back to the narrative, we'll come back to that. The man, verse 49, he begs Jesus to come with him. The official said to him, Sir, please come down before my child dies. Man, you can see the desperation. And he's just appealing to Jesus. And if you're a parent in here, you know what this parent is going through. I mean, the, just the heart-wrenching pain that exists when one of your children is in jeopardy in their life. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, just you, your, your child could die. And you say, Jesus, I need you to come and do this. And Jesus almost appears a harsh. You just want signs and miracles. Does Jesus not care? Of course he cares. But Jesus cares so much that he's got a bigger plan and a different, bigger purpose for what's going on. You see, when suffering happens, it can feel like God's being harsh. But suffering is a wake-up call for the unbeliever. Unbelievers will endure eternal 
everlasting suffering if they continue in their unbelief. So what feels like cruelty from God in the moment is actually His grace. The temporary suffering doesn't compare to what will be experienced in eternity. So unbeliever, the person who's rejecting Christ or just not fully embracing Christ, and you know it in your heart, yes, when things happen, it may feel like, God, where are you at? You're cruel. But you know what? Jesus doesn't do it like Burger King, have it your way. Jesus is going to do it his way because he cares much more about your eternal soul than he does about your temporary satisfaction and pleasure. And then Christian, what, are you, what do you do when suffering enters your door? It's tough. It feels harsh. We can question God too. Read the Psalms. It can feel very harsh. Many of you are familiar with Pastor Tim Keller. I love Pastor Tim Keller. He put this on a social media account. I have stage four pancreatic cancer. But it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows, and I cannot know that I cannot know, and therein is my hope and strength. Let that set for a second. Man, because it's easy as a pastor to stand up here when everybody that I know of is healthy and well in my family and say all these things, but Pastor Tim Keller is in the valley. He's in the midst of it, stage four pancreatic cancer. If you know anything about that, it's not a good diagnosis. 5%, I think, maybe the best possibility to live. But he says, God's wise, and he, there's his hope and strength. So that's what we have to trust. God, in this suffering, in this trial, what are you doing? Unbeliever, you need to say, God, you're not harsh. God, you're trying to get my attention. Because this seems mild compared to eternity. So he says in verse 50, look at this. This is what we might miss if just running through this passage during a quiet time. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. What Jesus does here is creates a dilemma of faith for this man. A crisis of belief, so to speak. If the father refused to return to Capernaum without forcing Jesus or coercing Jesus to come with him, he would show he did not believe Jesus' word. But on the other hand, if he followed Jesus' orders, he would be returning to the dying boy without any outward assurances that the boy would recover. You get that? He puts this guy in a, in a spot. He's at a crisis. Like, I, I believe Jesus. Jesus, I need you to come with me. And heal this boy. She's like, no, you go. What's he going to do? He needs that outward assurance. We need that, don't we? We, we? we love having those assurances. It's a difficult choice between insisting on evidence but showing his unbelief or exercising faith without any tangible proof. This distinction, believing because We've seen something or believing something on the strengths of Jesus' words. That's going to be a prominent theme throughout this book, the Gospel of John. Are you going to take Jesus at his word, or do you need proof and evidence? And this kind of reaches its climax in chapter 20, 
Many of you who grew up in church know this story where doubting Thomas, he questions and he needs to see Jesus. Jesus appears and he says this to Thomas and the disciples. He says, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who haven't seen yet believe. And that's what Jesus is after. Trusting. Trust me. Trust my word to be true. Doesn't mean the evidences aren't important, the miracles aren't important, but they're the clues to point you to the truth, to the treasure. And so we're, we're not a mindless, leave our brain at the door group of Christians. There's evidences, there's historical accounts, there's, there's proofs throughout history, there's eyewitnesses that, the, that Jesus existed, lived, and did the things and rose from the dead, most importantly. But at the end of the day, we got to take it for its word. we got to take Jesus at his word. And many of us struggle with that. We struggle because we need that tangible, empirical evidence. Sorry, you're not going to get it. Jesus' word, you got to take him for his word. What did the man do? Did he go? Or did he drag Jesus along? Or did he give up? What did he say in verse 50? The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. He takes Jesus at his word, and then he makes the 20-mile track alone, probably, home. That's a long walk. Yeah, 20 miles is a long walk, but it's a long walk here. What's he saying to himself? What's he thinking? This Jesus, can I really trust him? My son's going to die. He's probably, he's probably dead by now. Why wouldn't he come? I'm important. I'm, a, I'm an official. Maybe I should go back and, and, and really convince him to come with me. Imagine the mental pain that he's dealing with through this as he takes this 20-mile walk home. But look what happens in verse 51. As he was going down, his servants meet him, and they tell him that his son was recovering. Jesus had healed the boy from nearly 20 miles away. Awesome. But what I love about this narrative, and again, you may miss this. Let me ask you a question. Parents, your kid's at Shan's. And you have to come here and you have to work. Your spouse is there with your child, deathly ill. All of a sudden you get a call and the call says, you'll never believe this. He's fine. He's fine. What you're probably not going to ask first is, okay, when did that happen? Well, right, I mean, you're going to say, oh my goodness, how? What, you know, what caused this? Is he, is he fully all right or is he like, Headed the right direction? Did he make a turn? No, he, he, he's fine. I mean, you, your first question wouldn't be what the father asked. Look at verse 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Why is that important? Because the father's mind here wasn't just on his son. His mind was on the son, the son of God, Right? That's why he asked the hour when she got better, because he's looking, he's connecting the dots. He's like, that's exactly when Jesus said to go. Verse 53, the father knew 
that was the, the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And what's the next thing he says? And the man believed. He himself believed in all his household. He believed. He realized fully and completely who Jesus was. He took Jesus at his word. He was at a crisis of belief, a dilemma of faith. He trusted Jesus. He went, and Jesus confirms to him. And he believed, and not only did he believe, like he told his household, he told his family, this guy is something special. He's more than just a miracle worker. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Because you see in this passage, the official said twice, that it says twice that he believed, one in verse 50 and another in verse 53. So what's the difference there? In verse 50, by faith he believed that Jesus promised his son wouldn't die, but believing that Jesus can and will heal his son isn't enough to save him. When he realized that his son had been healed, the man realized that Jesus was more. And at that point, he was born again. You see? He realized that it wasn't about what he got from Jesus, but he saw who Jesus was. The glory of Jesus eclipsed his needs. That's why his first question was, when did that happen? When did it happen? So we live in a culture, we live in a, in a, in a time when what we call easy believism is, is very common. In the South, everybody's a Christian, right? Everybody will give you a conversion story. So our head, hearts, and hand, true belief is about finding meaning and life in Jesus. True belief is about finding meaning and life in Jesus. And that's what the tragedy so long for evangelism, which was, let me save you from hell by praying this prayer. But there was no embracing of the life of Jesus. There was no embracing of who Jesus is and his greatness. Now, obviously, when you first come to Christ, you have limited understanding of his greatness. But it has to be more than just, what are you doing for me, Jesus? Because that's what the most common reason why people say when they leave the faith is, it's not working for me anymore, right? You've heard that before? I'm leaving the faith because it's not working for me anymore. Well, sorry, you never had the faith in the first place that that was your attitude, right? It's not working for me anymore. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ and who he is and his greatness. And so we see Jesus for who he is. And as I've said here before, Satan is working so hard to get us and get people just to have this easy believism. And, and 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, what? The light of the glory, the, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in, is in the image of God. To see the greatness and glory of Christ, who Christ is, and then fully embrace Him. That's what belief is about. It's about embracing all that Jesus is. And that's why I, I remind parents when you've come to me about salvation for your children. I was like, okay, this is awesome. You know, they believe, they're trusting, let's baptize. But at this point, don't just like, okay, my work's done here. It's over. I've done the work. Continue to push them to Jesus. Continue to remind them 
because true belief endures, and, and you don't know. I mean, the, the truth is, I'm sorry, but you don't know for sure at 7, 8, 10 years old where their minds are fully at at that point. And so you trust God, and you continue to preach the gospel to them as they grow, and you continue to lift Jesus up. You continue to make the priorities of your life Jesus. Because I'm sorry, because as my family did, because this was the culture that we lived in, when I, if I doubted my salvation, here's what was said. You remember, you, you, you trusted Jesus. Remember that at that camp you went to or that, that place you were at or that church service or in the car there? It, it was always pointed back to this prayer that was prayed by a child. But I'm sorry, you begin to put your hope in a prayer, not in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to lose you here. Because some of you are like, I'm struggling with, I don't understand the difference. The difference is this. We embrace Jesus for Jesus and his greatness. We embrace embrace Jesus for who he is. And so when we point to salvation, we point to the person of Jesus. Are you trusting Jesus as your Savior? Not did you, are you trusting Jesus for your only hope? Yes, Dad, I am. Yes, Mom, I am. Rest in that. Rest in that. And then continue to preach the gospel. Continue to make it the priority. Please, help your children see, not just through your words, but through your actions, that Jesus is the priority. Because they'll tell you, they'll say the right things. But if your life is showing something completely different, I'm sorry, but you're rolling the dice, so to speak, whether they're going to stick with their faith one day or not. Because they say, ah, hear the words mom and dad say. But their life doesn't show that. In fact, we never read the Bible together. We don't pray together, you know, except for family meals on occasion. What's that saying? It's saying to our family, it's saying Jesus is something we do at a location. It's something we do at, a, at church, and it's not part of who we are as a family in our life. And, and again, it's pointed out so well by the Gravelies and the Heralds in the video, it's sure not perfect. But we show what the true pursuit of our life is. So our head is, true belief is about finding life and meaning in Jesus. And our heart, here's what our prayer needs to be if you find yourself in a day, today in a place where you know you're not really admiring Jesus. God, give me grace to admire and delight in Jesus. Ask God to give you delight in Jesus, to know him intimately as a Savior and a friend. And Christian, obviously, it's a growing process. And it, it, we grow to love Jesus. It's like in, in your marriage, when you were first married, you thought probably, I can never love this person anymore. And then 25 years later, you look back and you're like, you know, was that really even love, all right? Like, now this is like love. And there, I dare say, you ask somebody in here who's maybe 75, and they've been married 50 years to look back, and they're like, well, 25 years ago, not so much love either, because I didn't understand the sacrifice that love costs. I didn't understand the dying to self that love costs. Do you get that? And so love grows. It matures. But it's still like the person who's been married a week, and they're like, I just love her, right? I love her. Is, 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 do you have that affection for Jesus? And yes, you may look back one day and say, I'm not sure I really love Jesus that much. I've done that in my own life. I'm like, was I even a believer then? Like, my, my, my love for Jesus seemed so shallow and, and, and superficial, and my commitment to him was really weak. But it was like, I love him. 
Do you? Do you love Jesus? If you're not sure, and probably even if you're sure, we should pray that prayer. God, I need your grace to fall more in love with Jesus. And then our hands, the application side. The scripture makes it clear. Jesus made it clear. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Go, your son will be healed. Really? I'm just supposed to trust you. Come on, come with me. No, go. Your son will be healed. So just take you for your word. It's a long walk, long trip. What if it's not? What is he not healed? What am I doing then? Go. Okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Saturate yourself with the word of Christ. Preach the gospel over and over again to yourself. That's where your love for Christ will grow. Saturating yourself. Let the word of Christ just fill you up. 